0: This is the law of the temple. The whole area surrounding the mountain is most holy. And so once again here, we see the key thing is the Shekinah glory of God. He's still in control. The key thing in verse 5 is holiness. That spirit comes in and it makes that temple alive. It makes it the throne of God. This is where he dwells. This is where he reigns from. It's the millennial kingdom.
1: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The world is full of religious people and religions to match, but unfortunately, religion per se seems to have little to no impact upon the state of man. Well, that's going to change for the better. Today, our teacher, Pastor Xavier, explores the state of faith in years to come. Here he is with today's lesson, Ezekiel's Millennial Temple Worship.
0: What a day it will be when Satan, the God of this world, is bound for a thousand years and Jesus reigns supremely upon the earth, and everyone will celebrate the worship of Jesus Christ alone, no one else. There will be no politically correctness. There will be no tolerance in the millennial kingdom. Jesus will rule absolutely. The kingdom age is based on the covenant of Israel, as you know, and Jesus established the kingdom as he returns as Messiah, the kingdom is spiritual in character, but yet it has physical characteristics. Many of the fulfillments we'll see here, their functions, though they're spiritual and, and physical, they go and they move into the eternal nature as they move into the eternal state too, because they will go from there to the eternal state. The kingdom of God is present now in the churches as you know, but it's yet to come. So Jesus brought in the kingdom, but it's yet to come. We don't see it all here. We still see a fallen world. We see sin. We see failure. The church is not the kingdom, but part of the kingdom. The church will not bring in the kingdom, but the church will come back with Jesus to establish the kingdom. The government of Jesus um, will be supreme. He will be the head of everyone upon the earth. And um, it's believed that perhaps David will be a delegate co-region ruler with him. But for our study... As we look at this, what I want to do is look at um, at this worship that exists in the Millennium Kingdom, uh, evident by three things: uh, the temple of the millennial. We want to get a good overview of that. Then the sacrifice of the millennial, and then we'll look at the covenant uh, of the millennium. So those three things will be three hooks that we can hang our thoughts on. We begin with the temple of the millennium. Uh, here, from chapter 40, verse 1, it goes all the way to chapter uh, the end of 42 in the physical description, but I include chapter 43 to verse 12 because this, because there were described the Shekinah glory that comes into the temple. See, the temple without God's Shekinah glory is worthless. This building without the people of God filled with their spirit is worthless. What makes us the church of Jesus Christ is his spirit, and it's always the spirit of God that brings things alive. That's what gives it value. Very, very important. So I include that. You'll find different people divide this whole thing differently. I divide it that way. Now, as we begin here in chapter 40, verse 1 through 4, the introductory statement is given of the vision of the temple. Notice that these are apocalyptic visions of God, much like chapters 38 and 37. They are in in, uh, figurative language and symbolic language. It's uh, like the book of... uh, Revelations, the book of apocalyptics, the unveiling. It reveals to us what is hidden. And yet, in the language that it's given, it's, it's literal what's happening. Uh, but again, he's describing to us these things that we don't understand completely at times. Now, notice that he has taken there in verse 2, the land of Israel. He sat on a very high mountain, on which to the south was something like the structure of a city. The prophet was taken there and brought to a man, verse 3 tells us, and whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze, having a, a line of flax as a measuring rod on his hand, and he uh, stood in the gateway. This is much like um, in, in the first vision in chapter 1, verse 7, he saw the cherubim in his opening vision. The angel in verse 4, uh, he's the one guiding Ezekiel here and declares, Son of man, look to with your eyes, hear with your ears, fix your mind on Everything I show you, for you were brought here so that you might show them to you, declare to the house of Israel everything you see. So once again, Ezekiel is simply the watchman. Ezekiel is the mouthpiece of God. And he has given all these things, not yet for himself and only to himself, but to give to the people of Israel. He has already given judgment. Now he's dealing with restoration. And now he's dealing with the fulfillment of that restoration ultimately in the kingdom age. And he's just moving them along. And he is the guide as much as before the angel in chapter 9, verse 2, if you remember when he was going to bring destruction within the temple because of all the abominations. We saw him there with the other angels that that went with inkwell and marked everybody up. Now, in verse 5, the temple is described as an enclosed area, down to verse 27. The measure is key here in verse 5. It gives us the measure of, um, of a cubit. But... It's not the cubit that is normally, but he says a cubit and a span, the normal cubit was 18 inches from the finger to the elbow, 18 average. This is the cubit and the span is about 21 inches, so it's different, okay? It's the long one, 21 inches. And then it gives us a reed there, and a reed is about 10 feet, 3 inches, 10 feet, 6 inches. People will differ, okay? So that that is key because that gives you your your equivalence how to interpret all the measurements, okay? And you can do all the math, and this will help you in here. But verse 5 is very, very important because it gives you the key to the measurements. Now, when you look at verse 6 down to 27, uh, you have the outer court where the people gather. There are three gates, as you can see. They enter in. The east gate is going to be the most prominent one as we're going to see. The Shekinah glory will enter in by the same east gate as it left in Ezekiel chapter 8, it will enter in, in chapter 43, uh, very key. And in verse 20 to 27, the gates are on the north, the south, and there, there's, they have seven steps. So you're always moving, as I said, later on we'll see eight steps. You're moving higher up, closer to um, God's holiness. There is no gate on the west. And notice that the three gates, north, south, and east, they're lined up from the exterior, the outer court, and then the inner court also has three gates, and we'll mark that also. Now, when you get to chapter 40, verse 28 through 47, this is now the inner court where the priests minister at the altar. The measure is 100 cubits on each side square. Verse 47 gives you that. And there are three gates again directly opposite to the gates of the outer wall and 100 cubits within the outer wall. Though through these, they have access to come in to the inner court. So again, it's a progression as you come in closer and closer. And again, notice verse 37 gives you the elevation of eight steps. You have the seven steps, now you have the eight steps. And so it keeps coming up. When you get to verse 38 to 43, there we have the north gate in the area. There are eight tables prepared for sacrifices. The inner um, court gate, there are chambers for the singers and priests. We're going to see it's limited to the, the sons of Zadok to do the priesthood, uh, verse 44 through 46. And again in 47, the inner court area houses the altar of, um, to offer sacrifices in front of the temple. And so again, we have the, the uh, kind of replica of the tabernacle, but different dimensions, okay? Even as the temple of Solomon uh, reflected the tabernacle, but different dimensions, and remember that God told Moses, make sure you do everything according to the pattern that I showed you on the mount. Why? Because the tabernacle is the pattern of the throne of God. And if you ever go through the book of Revelation, and when we went through there, we pointed out, when you see the door open and you keep looking at it, if you, if you know the tabernacle of old, then it's almost like walking through the tabernacle, because it's a picture of things in heaven, the pattern. Now, when you get to chapter 40, verse 48, all the way to chapter 42, verse 20, You have the temple proper that's described for us, meaning the holy place, the most holy. That's the very heart where God dwells. Now, in 41, 15 through 26, you have the interior of the temple that's described for us. Panel wood, palm trees, cherubims, face of a man, lion. It reminds us of Solomon's temple. We have many of those things also there. Uh, The throne of God. We already saw the visions in chapter 1 and chapter 2 as uh, Ezekiel saw the cherubims. The only article of furniture described uh, is the table or the altar of wood there in verse 22 of 41 that is set before the Lord corresponding to the showbread table symbolizing communion with God. So this is the very heart of it is where men can approach God. Uh, We do it through Jesus Christ. Uh, Those who approach yours again through Jesus Christ as we're going to see. Not on their own merit. It's interesting there's no mention of the ark uh, the mercy seat, the table of stone, the cherubim uh, on the mercy seat, nowhere. So there's, uh, there's some things that we'll see are similar, but some things that are excluded, and, and, and they're different. There are two doors, it tells us, uh, verse 23 to 26 of chapter 41, into the sanctuary with uh, cherubim and palm trees carved on them. Now, in chapter 42, when you get to that, we have here the chambers of the priests. Uh, right behind and to the side of the Holy of Holies. And then what's interesting here, when you get to verse 15 to 20, a perimeter wall is given to us around the temple precinct. But many people confuse this. Right here in verse 15 uh, down to um, 19, when he had finished measuring the inner temple, he brought me out through the gateway that faces towards the east and measured it all around. So he goes out the east gate. And then he says he measured the east gate with the measuring rod, 500 rods by the measuring rod all around. 17, the north, 500 rods. 18, the south, 500 rods. The west, in 19, 500 rods. Now, many commentators take the liberty on changing these 500 rods to 500 cubits, thinking that it's identifying the very same wall that you have there in the court, 500 cubic square. No, it's not. And look at verse 20, and it distinguishes very, very clearly. He says, he measured it on the fourth sides; It had a wall all around 500 cubits long. And 500 wide to separate the holy area from the common. So what's happened is this. He's giving the outer court, the inner court. He's worked his way in. And then he walks out the east gate. And he says, now around this perimeter, there's another perimeter that's 500 rods. That's almost a mile by a mile square. Now, many reject that thinking that, well, it would never fit on the Temple Mount. No, duh. Zechariah says that Jesus is going to step on the Mount of Olives. There's going to be an earthquake and the topography is going to be changed. And it will fit. So you've got a greater fence around the thing. Always making separation and always the idea that you're approaching holiness. Here it tells you to separate the holy area from the common. And by the way, the topography change you can get in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4 through 7. When you get to chapter 43 now, you see the glory of Yahweh returning to the temple, and this is the key, because without the glory of God's spirit there, a temple is just a building. It's worthless. Afterwards, he brought me to the gate, the gate of the faces towards the east. The east gate very prominent. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It reminds us again of chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 10. Isaiah 6, many of the people, John, the beloved, saw the glory of God. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city. Remember chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11? There when he brought judgment to the abominations of the temple. The vision was like the vision which I saw by the river Chebar. And what happens? He falls on his face, same thing. Because he's before the presence of God. Isaiah, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. In verse 4, the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate that faces towards the east, and the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. So he comes in through again from the outer into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then I heard him speaking to me, saying, uh, from the temple, while a man stood by him. So the angel guide has been guiding him, directing him. Now he stands by the side. Now God speaks to him directly. He says, he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the sole of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings, but their harlotry or with their carcass of their kings on their high places. When they set their threshold by my threshold and their doorposts by my doorposts, which walls between them and me. They defile my holy name by the abomination which they committed. Therefore, I have consumed them in my anger. And, of course, he's referring to the past uh, history from the kings all the way to the very judgment that came to the temple at the beginning of his ministry. Now, verse 9 says, Now, let them put away their idolatry in the carcasses of the kings far away from me, and I will dwell in the midst of them forever. So, this millennial kingdom moves into what? The eternal state. Okay? This one is different from the one that's now, and this one is different from the eternal state that will come after the thousand years. But it just moves into the eternal kingdom right away. Now, verse 10. Son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquity and let them measure the pattern. And if they are ashamed of all that is done, make known to them the design of the temple and its arrangements, its exits and its entrances, its entire design and all its ordinances, All its forms and all its laws. Write it down in their sight so that they may keep it whole, design and all its ordinances, and perform them. This is the law of the temple. The whole area surrounding the mountain is most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. And so once again, here we see the key thing is the Shekinah glory of God. Related to the vision of the river Chibar. This is the same God. He's still in control. The vision was like that, and his control of being able to see is God's doing, not his own. It isn't because he was spiritual more than anybody else, but because God, and the key thing in verse 5 is holiness. That spirit comes in, and it makes that temple alive. It makes it the throne of God. This is where he dwells. This is where he reigns from. This is where all will come from all over the earth. And who doesn't come, there will be consequences. And we'll get to that as we move on in our study. Moses could not enter the tabernacle when they dedicated in Exodus 40, verse 35, because it's filled with glory of God. Uh, Solomon's temple in the dedication in 1 Kings 8, 11, and 2 Chronicles 7, 2, the priests couldn't continue to minister, and, and they couldn't enter the temple because the glory of God was filled. Here it is again. It just left in chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11. 11. Now it's back again. It's the millennial kingdom. It's not what is going on right now. And so, all the details that is given to him, he's to describe to the people of Israel. Why? Because this is going to be a literal temple. Now, the purpose regarding the temple, let me give you some that are given to us and, and they're scattered around. But in chapter 40, verse 4, it says that the transmission of the vision be given to Israel. Is that he would give it to them and part it to them. Just like he gave all the prophecies of judgment, he was to give this to them. That's one of the purposes. Secondly, in chapter 43, verse 7, to provide a dwelling place for the divine glory. It's the place of my throne, the place of the sole of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. They will not defile my holy name no more. But also to demonstrate God's holiness in contrast to the idolatrous, rebellious nation of Israel. In 43.10, no longer would they be in rebellion against him. But their knee would be bowed to their Messiah, and they would be in line with him. Also, to make sure they would keep that entire revelation. God has not given us the Bible that we might exclude any part at all. Even to the point of the millennial kingdom, it's to be followed completely. And if they are ashamed of all they have done, he says, then they will respond properly. It's always an, uh, uh, an exciting day when God convicts your heart and allows you to see yourself where you're at in relationship to God. And there is conviction, and there is shame. We should come forth repentance to walk with God. Also, to perpetuate the memorial sacrifices, chapter forty-three, verse eighteen. It says, "Son of man, thus saith the Lord God: These are the ordinances of the altar of the day when it was made for sacrifice of burnt offerings." on it for the sprinkling blood on it in other words all that takes place here and we'll see a more clarity of these sacrifices they do not forgive sin but they are memorial sacrifices for the finished work of Jesus Christ none of the sacrifices of the Old Testament ever forgave sin none of the sacrifices during this thousand year reign will be there for forgive sin but simply as a memorial of the efficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ people say well why why, why do they have them we'll find out we'll both ask them there But we know one thing for sure, they cannot be for the payment for sin, because Jesus died for the sins of the world. You understand? So they're commemorative. But also to provide the center of divine government. Uh, Chapter 44, verse 3 says, And for the prince, because he is the prince, he may sit in it, eat bread before the Lord, and he shall enter by way of the vestibule, the gateway, and go out of the same way. Uh, the rule will be supreme of Jesus, though we said that there will be some subordinate reign, uh, probably by David and, and some other uh, rulers, but also to provide victory over the curse and evidence of the abundant provisions Uh, of God described there in chapter 47 verse 1 through 12 of that river that flows from the sanctuary uh, flowing to the Mediterranean Sea and then flowing to the Dead Sea also and healing the Dead Sea and having an abundance of fish and that there'll be fishing there and everything else Uh, that will be an interesting day at that point when you look at chapter 47 with the water flowing out you have to make a distinction, as John tells us, about the, um, the river that flows out, but he's dealing with the eternal state after the millennial kingdom in Revelation 21, 1 and 2. One comes from the temple, the other one proceeds from the throne of God and the Lamb, John tells us. So you don't want to confuse them, even as you do not want to confuse the battle in chapters 38 and 39 with the battle of Armageddon or the rebellion at the end of the thousand years. And so we try to do our best to make those distinctions as we compare Scripture with Scripture. Otherwise, you put them together and you put them in the wrong timeline. Remember that Genesis has the tree of life in the midst of the garden. We're going to see that there, there's the tree for life also, for uh, medicine, for healing. Because remember, the millennial kingdom, you and I are glorified. We reign with Christ. But those who have entered the kingdom, they have kids. They have to be born again. And though the earth is like a paradise of Eden, sin still reigns. Satan is bound, but sin nature is still there. A child dies at a hundred, and Isaiah says, oh, he died young. And then at the end of the thousand comes the white throne judgment. Then comes the eternal state. So we must make the distinction between them. The prophet Ezekiel is describing the millennial river coming from the temple. That's chapter 47. Verse 1 tells us, again, Zechariah 14, the reason for that, Jesus steps on the Mount of Olives. And isn't the Mount of Olives kind of interesting? Because Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives. In Ezekiel, the Spirit of God in chapter 8, 9, and 10 there, it went up on the threshold of God out the East Gate, out to the Mount of Olives. It comes back through the East Gate. Jesus is going to step on the Mount of Olives. He's going to come through the East Gate. And you have the very same pattern. Uh, Again, remember the rivers that came out of Eden had four heads in Genesis 2.10. So this whole aspect of rivers in the paradise, you have the rivers here. You have the rivers also, the water that comes forth in uh, the eternal state. So you have these common things, but you must mark the different times that are taking place. Otherwise, you put them all together. The closest thing that we have to the fulfillment of the millennial temple is Solomon's temple because the Shekinah glory was there. The temple of Herod, which was really the beautification of Zerubbabel's temple, did not have the Shekinah glory. Uh, it wasn't present. So um, it would return, and it would be in the millennial kingdom. It's a literal temple. It will be built, and um, I think it's a proper interpretation. The prominent characteristic of this thing is the Shekinah glory once again. That is the key. Now, remember, there's only Solomon's temple, Zerubbabel's temple, and Herod's is Zerubbabel's. Don't make it a third. Herod's was a beautification of Zerubbabel's temple. Only two. The third one will be the Antichrist. The fourth one will be the millennial temple we're studying. Okay? Only four. And so, here again, the temple of the millennium is a real and literal temple. It will be there. The Shekinah glory will be there.
1: Pastor Xavier Reese, and the Coming Kingdom. And he has more to share. That's next time. But if you won't be able to join him, you can pick up a copy of this message on CD for only $4. And the title to ask for is Ezekiel's Millennial Temple Worship. And this is a great way to share this ministry with your friends and loved ones. So once again, the title to ask for is Ezekiel's Millennial Temple Worship. Or simply mention today's date. Please address your request to Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it helps us when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us monitor the impact of this ministry in your area. Prior to the resurrection of Jesus, Jerusalem wanted nothing to do with Him. Will His reception be any different at His second coming? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths.